Take our Bibles and turn them to the book of Hebrews. Is where we're going tonight. We're going to leave Brother David out in the wilderness for tonight. And we're not done with that series by any means, but as I told you upon commencing that series, that uh, we'd be going along through it. And as I saw something or was led of something to add in, we would do that also. And so tonight, I want us to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to follow through in this chapter, and then I uh, will speak to you this evening on the subject of two deadly branches of bitterness. Two deadly branches of bitterness. And let's look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Would you follow along there carefully as I read aloud? It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, direct reference to those who left a witness behind by their living and by their dying, the way they did both in chapter 11 there. Seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening, for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men, made perfect. 
and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifying the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things which are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire. Will you pray with me? Father, a lot of meat in this passage. I would like to give that portion which is best for your body here meeting in this place tonight. Father, I ask for your guidance to do so. May they have hearing ears, Lord, and a willing spirit to receive your truth, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Interesting passage. Look at a familiar passage, a familiar verse in the passage in verse 15. It says, looking diligently. You're being careful about something, making sure it's cared for. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Didn't say lest God's grace fails any man. There's a difference. It's sort of like one one uh, erroneous doctrine is lifted up and buttressed by misusing another verse in this chapter where it talks about Esau that he sought repentance with many tears and could not find it. There are groups of people out there that teach that in the wrong way as if it had to do with salvation. What that was, once he had sold that birthright for the morsel of meat, he couldn't get it back at that point. And once that was a done deal, that was a done deal. And that's exactly what that's talking about. But here it says, looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, the man does not live according to the grace which has been extended. That he fails of the grace that's been extended to him. He doesn't doesn't avail himself of it. You can avail or you can fail. And you can fail of the grace of God. Knowing that grace, you could not live in the fullness of it. He said, lest any man fail of the grace of God. And then what happens? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Along our little creek line at our house, we had a lot of trees die there from the sashboard weevil coming through. Drop those trees. Well, we also had a lot of honeysuckle bushes there. And I've cut out quite a few, and there's still a number to be cut out. But I was noticing as I was out there just a couple of days ago, little shoots coming up or cut the ones out. Boy, they'll take over the place again in a heartbeat. Why? Because there's a root there, and there's something that'll spring up from that root. It'll be a big mass tangle again if you don't get that cared for when it starts coming up. And the Bible here is talking about something. It's talking about bitterness and bitterness being a root from which uh, something can spring up and can cause trouble. I'll be explaining to you a little more in just a moment when I gave the title to the message of two branches of bitterness that come up. I'm not talking about the root. I'm talking about two branches of them. That's what we're going to be talking about. But I want to show you something with this. I want you to look and notice what it says here in verse 15. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Say, looking diligently unto what? That, of course, would be my question. Looking about what? What are you paying attention to? Look at the chapter as it proceeds before this. It's a transitional statement there, looking diligently. And uh, it has to do with what's been written before. You come out of Hebrews chapter 11, and you have the people who are listed, some by name and just some by general reference. The people of God who followed God under all kinds of conditions. Some of them there were uh, people of wealth and position. Some were people who lived in abject poverty. Some of them were people who saw great victories, miracles, and triumphs as we count them in in life. And others were people who gave their lives rather than than deny the living God. The whole garment of Christianity uh, there with it and, and, and belief in the Lord. And that's called the great cloud of witnesses. In other words, these things which are written in Hebrews 11 and those people that are pointed to in Hebrews 11 are witnesses to us about how a life can be lived for God. They show us by different examples in it. And it talks about those things. Then, 
you come into chapter 12, at the beginning of chapter 12, it talks about wherefore, because we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and it goes immediately into the fact of us that we are to run a race. Look at back there in verse 1. We're to lay aside every weight, those things which bog us down, those things which keep us from uh, performing well in our race. See, the Christian life has that. There's some things, not a matter of sinfulness or not sinful. It's a matter of for you and your race, it's a problem. It would be problematic for you. It would be something that would, would hinder you. And we're supposed to lay those aside and also the sin, which does so easily beset us. It has a way of getting around us. It talks about those things. And then it talks about running this race with patience. Now, this is a foreshadow of what's coming. Do you know biblically how we get patience? Everybody know? Somebody tell me. Biblically. Tribulation. That is the biblical formula. Tribulation worketh patience. With patience, hope, right? And so I know this morning, it was kind of funny because I had this message all done. And, Mr. Short and I were talking as we came in the car this morning, and she said, at one point, I spent quite a bit of time uh, praying for patience. This was, this was funny. I said, you did? She said, yes, I did. She said, I changed that. <laughs> and, uh, and she was talking about years ago. I said, was it because of the trouble that came? She goes, yes. You know, she said, Pastor, you know what the Bible says about that. She said, I kept praying for patience. He said, so much trouble came, I just changed my prayer and started praying for God's love. <laughs> That's probably an astute move right there. But it was funny. I was tickled by that in our conversation. And uh, so tribulation worketh patience. Now look what's happened here. Here we have a cloud of witnesses. We have people who say this can be done. You can follow God. Therefore, because of that, we are to run with patience the race set before us. How we do it? We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it talks about what He went through. And then it comes down and even says, you've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I have a little notation in my Bible. It says, how hard have you fought against it? That's just a note for me. How hard have you actually fought against it? Well, I just couldn't help. Nonsense. How hard have you fought against it? You've not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. It talks about not being wearied and fainting in our minds. And it does all that. But now, here's, here's where it's interesting. You have something that it, between those statements about looking unto Jesus, about us not having yet resisted unto blood striving against sin, about there being something better spoken for us than what was given by Moses, between that and verse 15, looking diligently, lest you fail the grace of God, it talks about something that isn't dealt with enough, I don't believe. It isn't in my preaching enough. As I see its content in the Bible, I should be giving more time to it and will seek to do so. But it talks about chastening. It goes forward to looking unto Jesus and then it talks about God's chastening. Okay? As a son of God, as a child of God, we're going to set out to follow God. And God says in His Word, okay, when you do that, you're going to be chastened. That's correction. That's whooping. That's, a, that's, a, that's not an abuse situation. That's teaching us. In fact, the Bible says it in verse 11, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Man, if you, if you ever as a kid or if any of you kids ever got done and said, oh, that's nice. I, I can't wait till I get another whipping. One of two things are going on. Either you are deranged Something's wrong in your cocoa. Or, or somebody whooping you doesn't know what they're doing. And if you get a good mama whooping going that involves a wooden spoon, where mama does it different than dad. dad dad's very systematic generally, you know. Well, he, make, he, makes it, he makes it count. He, he goes about it. Her mom gets real worked up. She gets a hold of one arm with her hand and the other one has a wooden spoon, she'll chase you in circles and beat you half to death. Amen? <laughs> I thought I told you not to. And as she's gone, she hits you everywhere but where it's supposed to. Because see, the board of education is supposed to be applied to the seed of knowledge. And sometimes that's not what happens. <laughs> but there's chastening. And so, it goes from chastening, then... In verse 12 and 13, which we'll come back to, it talks about strengthening. 
Verse 14 talks about following peace with all men and talks about holiness without which no man will see the Lord. And then in verse 15, it talks about failing of the grace of God and warns against it. Why? Because having seen the cloud of witnesses through the Scripture, having chosen to look to Jesus as the author and finisher, by the way, of our faith, having set ourselves to follow God, sometimes chastening will come in and people will react badly to the Lord because God's doing something in their life that needs to be done to help them. I have had a uh, statement or a contention, if you will, that I put out there. Not contentious, but a contention. It's I put it out there that I have not found a reason to retract in all my pastoring. It's not scripture. It's not. Uh, I'm not quoting scripture, so it's not infallible. I've just never found it in all these years to to miss the mark. I believe people who are actually God's people and who actually have the Spirit of God in them. I believe when they're being chastened to the Lord, they know they are. In other words, the stuff that I deal with sometimes as a pastor, as somebody comes and says, I don't know if the Lord's chastening me or what. I just don't get on, on that wagon with somebody. You say, why? Because I believe if God's Spirit's drawn in you and He's chastening you, you're going to know what it's about. You're not going to wonder about it. God doesn't just come by one day and whoop you because you look like you needed whooped. He doesn't take you to the woodshed and say, that's for something I might have missed. Because His chastening, look at the verse 11. I didn't forget to get you there. Look at what it says. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Remember what I told you about that. But grievous. It hurts. You don't like it. It's not what you want. By the way, it's grievous both for the one being chastened and the one doing the chastening. Like any loving parent does not enjoy having to step to that point of correction and chastening whatever may be appropriate for whatever age and situation with it. No one likes that if, you, if, you're, uh, if your heart's where it ought to be. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless. Afterward, remember looking unto Jesus, the author and the what of our faith? Finisher. So Jesus isn't just concerned with your faith starting. He's concerned with your faith continuing. But afterward, it yieldeth. That's the idea of a harvest coming on. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. <laughs> do, you know, do you know kids that give... The parents can't hardly go out in public with them. You know what the ingredient always is in that mix? There's not proper chasing. Although I'll dry you one time or another. But once or twice heading out to the car and making it worthwhile, you'll be able to go wherever you want. I've met people, well, you know, when my kids act up, I just can't take them in anywhere. Something wrong with the chasing. Usually it's missing. I mean, if you remember when Ponderosa was open on East Main over there, Big Bear was there before the bear's extinct now. Um, one time, Logan had done something egregious. He was a small fellow. He said, what's egregious, preacher? He's bad. And he pushed something, and uh, I said, all right. I picked him up, started his head towards the men's room. I'm not gonna whoop him out there in public in front of everybody and have some Yahoo get in the way. So we're in there, being real subtle about it. We're gonna go in there, gonna talk to him when I get in there. Son, you know what you did, and uh, here's what you knew was gonna happen. I sure don't want you being disappointed in your dad, so this is what's gonna happen. And I carried him in. It was all working real well. Everything, textbook plan for doing this the right way, except. Except, my wife remembers it, all of a sudden in his young and loud voice, and Logan's never been bashful, he began to holler. I got him on my shoulder like this, and he starts wailing. Don't beat me, Daddy! Don't 
everyone in the restaurant turned around and looked, and I said in his ears, only a loving father could say, you're dead. <laughs> Don't really. Well, there you go. But as we start to follow the Lord, and as uh, God's working in our life, His grace is working in our life. You remember what the Bible says about grace teaching us? Live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Or do you think that we learn those things without there being some chastening along the way? So as that chastening comes in, there's the opportunity, there's the opening for bitterness to come in too. It's according to how we respond to the chastening. By the way, I've used the illustration of the of a spanking or something like that, and it's very vivid in our minds. It, it does make some point, but there's a lot of different types of chastening. Um, it, it's not all that's not appropriate all the time, and that's not the only thing there is. But this, uh, uh, but this thing of chastening, it comes in the Christian life, and there's so many reactions that can open a door for this seed, this root of bitterness to come in. The response of, I'm doing the best I can. I don't know why the Lord brought that to my attention. Here's a cute one. I've given my all to serve God. Really? I don't think one who spends much time in the Word with an open and serious heart could make that statement with a straight face. I've given so much to serve the Lord. Really? Hmm. It's kind of like a pastor friend of mine who he doesn't pastor anymore. And I remember years ago, I'd get call him and we would talk. And about every time I talked to him, maybe once a month or so, I'd just call him and see how he's doing. I'd say, How you doing? I'd call his name and he'd say, I'm in the fight of my life. I'm in the fight of my life. There's always some kind of thing going on. It sounded kind of weird the first time I heard it. And then after I heard it over and over again, I thought, How many fights of your life can you be in? And I found out if someone disagreed with him, he thought he was in the fight of his life. If attendance was down, he thought it was the fight of his life. If the offering was down, it was the thought it was the fight of life. And one day he said to me, he said, Brother Phil, he said, you never, he said, why don't you tell me what's going on with you? You never mentioned anything. I said, I don't know, just not lived a long time, but I've never had the fight of my life yet. And he said, haven't you had some trouble along the way? I said, there's been some things that haven't been particularly comfortable. The fight of my life? Fight of my life? What are you talking about? I don't know what that is. That sounds painful. I don't want it. <laughs> but you really can. You start to serve God and we can start thinking this way. It's like, well, all I do and I'm not appreciated. You know, the same thing that gets people in trouble with their churches, you know. Nobody appreciates me. I missed two weeks in a row. Nobody called me. Of course, you've been in the same church for eight years. You've never once called somebody who missed. But the... Uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, they did. Yeah. See, see we, we get all twisted up. What happens? Bitterness comes in. And that root of bitterness has a couple of very deadly branches to it. I was amazed how it fell, fell together here. Look in verse 12 and verse 13, and, and this was an amazing transition here. So the chastening in verse 11, it's not joyous at the present time, but it yields something. In other words, God once again, according to His revealed nature, is looking for the long-term good, not the short-term pleasure. And He's looking what is long-term best for us, not what is short-term the most comfortable. But look at this next verse. These are not just thrown in here randomly. Verse 12, it says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, this is a concept of strengthening. I do not believe it would be a misuse of this passage, this verse, to say we're supposed to strengthen others. But there was something really interesting in it. Look at the next verse. What's the first word in verse 13? And, that connects those two thoughts. And, watch, make straight paths for whose feet? If we are to make straight paths for our feet... And look at the rest of the verse. Make straight path for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. 
In the context of that verse being attached with the and to verse 12, I don't believe that it's misuse of Scripture to say that this thing can be paying attention to your own hands hanging down and your own knees being feeble. Because that's the structure of that. And so it goes from, we have a cloud of witnesses who survived. Here's what they did. We are to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why? Because we have a race to run and we can look to Him and we can run it with patience and all of that with it. But you need to know when you actually start running the race, you're going to be chastised. Why? Because it will bring out fruit for the long haul with it. My crazy track coach in junior high school, Mr. Biggs, he was a pretty good track coach. You know, he had the craziest thing he did. The fellas who did well in the meets and the fellas who, and, and gals both, guys and gals, and, and he was coach over both. Do you know the, uh, the ones who did well? Uh, Meredith DeBoard, you remember your friend Meredith? And she was an incredible mile runner. She set a new track record up, uh, I think at Lakota, up in that area. It was a big invitational. And she was so sick, she threw up right before the race. Threw up all over right before the race, ran the race, set the new track time there, came in, and Coach Biggs looked at her and said, make yourself sick again for the next one. <laughs> and uh, she did a good job with it. But, uh, the, uh, but if he found somebody, whether it be one of the, fee, uh, one of the field activities, uh, pole vaulting or uh, discus throwing or shot put, or if it be the you know, long jump or, or whatever with it, high jump, and if it be one of the, the track events, when he saw someone who... Did well. I think of uh, uh, a young man named Tibbs, last name Tibbs, uh, that was in our uh, on our track team. He was really good at hurdles, and I remember Mr. Biggs spending extra time, and he assigned to him extra work, and he would work with these ones that really kind of shown and he would put extra time into them and expect of them more and have them work out a little more. Was he punishing them for doing well? He would talk to them about their diet off of the field. He would talk to them about their habits of things. He would talk to them about what, what footwear they were wearing. And, and we raced on cinder tracks and all that. They didn't have the rubberized stuff except some very, very expensive schools that was just coming in. And by you don't want to fall down on a cinder track. And, uh, and he'd talk about the different things. And, and, and he would, why? Because he saw the promise in those. And so what he did was he put more work on them, expected more of them. He, he, he was doing things to bring out of them what was in them, the potentiality for it. In Christ, when we uh, begin to follow Him and, and we start actually following Him and we start depending on Him as the author and finish of our faith, when we seek to stay on course and follow the, the, the race that's set before us, He chastises us. He says, here, Here's what you need to do. Why weren't you here? Be on, t- be it, be it, be it uh, practice on time and show up. And why aren't you doing that? He says you need to learn some things. Why? Because you have potential to grow. Then you come to these verses I pointed out to you, verse twelve and thirteen, and then it says the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. What is that about? Um, I put it down in a simple way. You see, the hands which hang down—that's being discouraged in the work. It's actually physically, it shows itself. If you have someone who's standing, their posture's good, they're moving around, they look animated what they're doing, that tells you one thing. If you see somebody else and they're just, their hands hanging down, what is it? They're just done. Worn out. And that's even an expression like that. It's, it's, it's what we do. And he said that we are to lift up the hands which hang down. We're supposed to. What are the feeble knees? We've heard that again. Weaken the knees. They're going down. What is that? One's be discouraged in the work. The other's be discouraged in the walk. When you've been chastened, you've been chastened again. When you realize that you are not perfecting as fast as you would like to be and growing in your fullness of your maturity, it can be discouraging to you. He said, you've got to be careful during that time. He's Then verse 13, make straight paths for your feet. Why? Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. What's that about? Well, let me put you in the most simple way. It's, it's talking about 
the lame. That's something with an ailment or an injury or a weakness. It says to make the path straight for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. In other words, that which is injured, that which is weak, that which is hurting at the time, in order to keep it from being turned out of the way, not being able to continue in that course, it said make the path straight. Let me give you a practical application for you. And I believe what is the spiritual insight of it. Especially when you get in times where things are overwhelming and rough. When you get in that time where uh, you feel lame. I mean, have you ever felt lame in your Christian life? Weak? About struggle? Well, at that time, make the path straight. What do you mean, preacher? Get back to simplicity. Get to the basics. Makes that path straight. Go right back to the basics. One of the things we'll be hearing about in upcoming messages with David there in the wilderness is his time at Ziklag. We're going to find before that that David gets so discouraged that he heads on down to the Philistines again. And he gets so discouraged, Trey, he says one day he's going to kill me. <laughs> just, he's going to catch me. And he just heads down to the Philistines. By the way, looking to one of the Philistine kings to protect him instead of God. It's quite a, quite, a, quite a downward step at that point. But then at Ziklag, when he's faced with his own men turning on him, he learns to encourage himself in the Lord. So he goes all the way to that bottom and comes back up to that height. When you are having trouble in your walk, when you feel lame, when you feel that you can't quite go on, that's not the time to get complicated. That's not the time to try to figure out some new thing. That's not the time to try to Unravel the mysteries and puzzles of life that are in front of you. That's the time for you to get back to something as simple as, My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I've got to do is follow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I've got to do is follow. Strength for each day is mine all the way. And all that I need for tomorrow. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is all church. I love the offertory tonight. And all the elements of a good offertory had a song which the people know that's important for an offertory. It doesn't edify people don't know the song. It was a basic, strong core hymn. And it was played beautifully and with a heart in it. In that, in that, you could learn what to do when you're feeling lame. Get back to the basics. Just get back to the fact that you belong to God and that's enough. <laughs> I was chasing around something in the Bible. I'm trying to figure out a certain thing. I'm not going to tell you what that certain thing is because I haven't figured it out and I don't want to throw out a question where I think I answered that truth that I found yet. But I'd noticed something. I'm chasing around trying to figure it out and I'm doing studies here, there, and everywhere with it and going through and uh, checking different lineages. I'm checking different things. If I sit back in my chair in my office at the house and I literally said to the Lord, I said, well, Lord, that one's past me right now. i just take your word for it. And I sure would like to see how that fits together at some point, but I can't find it. <laughs> it's back to the basics. Back to the basics. And God, I am saved, saved, saved from this world of sin. And washed in the blood of Jesus. Been born again. See, I really believe that deep inside of me there's still a fuzzy-headed teenage kid who just got saved, who just goes after school. And after work on Wednesday at the dairy farm and loads up in his old Dodge Dart and finds as many teenagers as he can grab by the scruff and stuff's in that thing, comes wheeling in the parking lot with him 
and uh, goes into church, and we take up a hoary like you all do, and uh, we, we over there, and I come into come into church and hear my preacher preach, and I lay right down here because I always like to be down at the spout where the blessing comes out, and I'd be down there with that, and and uh, hear the preaching and the singing and enjoy it, and, and excited about what God's doing. I didn't know anything about church politics. I didn't know anything about marriage problems with people. I didn't know anything about child-rearing problems. I didn't know anything about uh, this one may not like that one and that one may not like this one. I didn't know anything about budgetary concerns and how the building was being paid for and all that. No wonder I was happy. <laughs> I think I just got called. I'm going back. <laughs> but in my heart, in my spirit, I, I, I go revisit him. Because without that, all the other that's been done doesn't matter. So when you're lame, and it's kind of hard to get up over a little bit of a hill, <laughs> make it simple and straight. Brother Monty Watts used to give me a hard time somewhat. You know, in the early days, our buildings, as they've slowly evolved here, <laughs> And before we had in the concrete in and how it used to be to get in and out of the buildings themselves. And here's Brother Watts with the metal braces on each each leg and his canes and stuff. And he'd get up in this pulpit every now and then and he'd say, You folks ought to maybe think about paving something. He says, Brother Manning thinks that every piece of ground's flat. <laughs> Why is that? Because he had trouble going up anything. And he would notice the things that if you didn't have that, you wouldn't notice. Uh, can I tell you, there are days when you're lame. There are times when you're lame when you're not up to full strength. And the key is just make it simple and straight. I, I was sitting and thinking yesterday evening, we have a placard up on the wall. Pretty well done. And all it says on it is, be still and know. Be still and know. I was sitting there thinking, I thought that's why I had. I told you I was looking out the windows and stuff too. I didn't want those close. Getting on towards uh, sundown there. And I thought only God could put that much in four words. I don't think I know the depth of that one yet. Be still and know. I have both parts of it. You got to know and be still. That's what this is telling you. You say, well, preacher, watch this two deadly branches of bitterness. Well, I've talked to you something about bitterness and what to watch for here with it. Um, stay clear, stay simple, and give it time to be healed. There are two branches that come out of it, and they're both in verse 16. Look at this. And this ought to cause us to want to be very careful not to have the bitterness spring up. It gives two things that come out of, uh, out of this. Let's read verses 15 and 16 together and you'll see it. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, for, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, these are both very simple. I want you to give them thoughtful attention. Two branches of bitterness. And the root is bitterness. One is called fornication. Preacher, what's that got to do with bitterness? Well, flesh sins, especially fornication, can spring from the root of bitterness. So how's that, preacher? Because having become bitter, and you saw the context as it deals with the, the growth and the chastening and what happens with that, if you become bitter, you will look for happiness, or you possibly will look for happiness, by wicked, sinful indulgence. You will look for something that you find Exciting, stimulating, tantalizing to you. I believe that's encompassed in this concept of 
lest there be any fornicator. He's warning. He says, you watch now. That bitterness with many be defiled, here's how one of the branches that will shoot up from it. Fleshly indulgence because you think you deserve better than what you've gotten. Fleshly indulgence because you think you've been deprived of something. Fleshly indulgence because you deserve it. Would to God that we realize that sin is not something we deserve. It's not something to be desired. It's something to be fled from. The end of its death. So fornication's one. You see that. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Okay, the profane person as Esau. Given that example. Who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. What's that? The second deadly branch of bitterness, and I'm not saying these are the only branches on this bush, but these are two of them. One's a fornication. You watch someone who becomes intensely angry over a long period of time, and you watch there is a huge percentage chance they're going to go straight into a flesh sin. It opens the door. They're in that room called sins of the flesh. They're in that room called the works of the flesh. They're in great danger because of that. And it is a very sad but real truth that when a person despises another person, way too often they will become like the person they despise. It is so frequent. It's not an absolute. It does not have to happen. But the percentage is extremely high. The child who despises the drinking in a parent, they better watch or drink will be what they'll do. The spouse who despises the unfaithfulness in a spouse, they better watch or unfaithful is what they'll become. The person who despises the dishonesty of another person and dwells on that, they better watch or they themselves will find an area where they will start being dishonest and they will excuse it. I know what I'm talking about. I've watched it way too long. Say, so, preacher, why does that happen? It happens for the same reason the beginning of the chapter shows you how to have something good happen. If we're going to finish our course, if we're going to do what God wants us to do, the beginning of this chapter said we're supposed to look somewhere. Looking where? What's it say? Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Then the next phrase, for consider him. So, in other words, to stay on track, keep going the right way, we're supposed to be looking to Jesus, we're supposed to consider Him, let Him fill our mind. But when you despise someone, you become bitter. And they fill your mind, they will affect your soul. you got to turn away from it. Realize there's a God that will set, of course, what needs done. They, well, they went all the way through this life and didn't have anything bad happen to them. This life isn't all there is. In fact, this is the shortest part of your existence. You'd be considered an elderly person if you died at 100 years old. And that's just not even a measurable quantity compared with eternity. So what is this thing? This fornication, it's uh, bitterness brings that in. So much of it. An excuse for it. and Well, I wasn't going to do it, but I, I've been upset so long. Well, I wasn't going to do it, but I feel I deserve this and I've been upset and I'm mad at this one. I'm mad at that one. I'm angry at this one. And, and then just go out. You know, the, you know the worldly terminology about it. Well, they drove me to drink. No? You got in the car. Then the second one was Esau. What is the thing of selling his birthright? One of the deadly branches of bitterness is this. You'll give up what is yours in Christ and neglect what you're responsible for in the work of Christ while the attention of your mind and your soul is turned to yourself. Someone gets bitter. They don't care what happens. 
They don't care about their influence for the Lord. They don't care if the work of God goes on. They don't care. I, I've seen people who their heart and soul seem to be about, boy, we need to we need to do something for missions. Their heart and soul seem to be we need to be a lighthouse to reach people for Christ. We want to serve the Lord. We honor the Lord. But they get better. This gets inside of them. And they will drop everything and act like it had no value. It's a scary thing to think how strongly our own words will judge us. And the words that we profess that the things of God are important, the work of God is valuable, and the house of God is to be reverenced, those words will judge us if we just say, well, I'm upset, therefore everything can just hang. You know what's sort of remarkable to me? I've been pastoring long enough to watch this happen. You know what's remarkable to me? People who will be gone from church for years and years and years. And then they'll show back up. Now watch. You say, aren't you glad they come in? Most of them usually, yes. If they come in with the heart of wanting to be helped at least, or you know, be honest hearing, then I, then I am always. If they're just playing games again, then I want to see something change about that. But listen. Brother Brian, You've been around here longer than I have. That means you're officially old. <laughs> um, they'll come back in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. They'll stop in. They'll contact. They'll come in. You know what they do? They walk in the door expecting everything to still be like it was. You nod your heads because you've seen it. They come in. They expect the church to be going on. They expect there will be preaching. This is their place. You say, well, they, it was a safe place so they wanted to come back to it. I'm not discounting that. And I hope that's their heart. Doors open regardless of what the heart is. But listen. Think about how presumptuous that is. To say, I'm going to walk away from the work of God I'm not talking about somebody deciding to go to another Bible-believing church or somebody moved or something like that. I'm not talking about those things. I'm not going to just say, I'm done. I'm walking away from this. I'm upset. And this one made me mad. And that one made me mad. And I was upset about this. And so I'm just going to walk out. I'm just going to drop everything I was doing. I'm just going to no longer contribute to the operation of the place. And I'm going to go away. But 10, 12, 15 years later, I expect if I walk back in, everything's going to be operating like it was. Maybe I'll get crappy in old age. <laughs> but there's a reality of this thing. I can't imagine what I know of the Scripture that that sets well with the Lord. And he called Esau, God called Esau, a profane person. Why? Because that birthright, which had amazing family and spiritual significance to it. I don't have time to elaborate on that. It had... Powerful implications. He was hungry. He said, it's not going to do me any good. See, there's that selfish thinking. Well, it ain't going to help me. He care about his daddy's name, his daddy's heritage, what he's leaving behind, the position that his dad expected him to do. It's not going to help me right now. One morsel of meat. Pottage. The type of soup concoction. And it was weak soup. There's only one piece of meat in it. <laughs> For one morsel of meat. One, one, one bowl, one morsel. He sold his entire birthright. But he did. The Bible attaches it to bitterness. He was upset and bitter because of that. You know what he did? Gave away everything that was valuable to God just for that momentary thing. Two deadly branches. One is fornicate, sins of the flesh. The other one is not valuing what God's purpose and work is and what your part is in it. We need to be careful. Because here's the thing about it. I'll show you this one thing. We'll be done. Look at it. Verse 15. 
Look at the fourth word in. The fourth and fifth together. What are they? Count them in there. What's the fourth and fifth word in verse 15? Any man. Did you get that? Ladies, you know that means y'all too, right? So I reckon there's nobody in here from the man behind this pulpit to anybody listening or anybody that will listen on the YouTube or on the podcast. I reckon that any man takes us all in. And so what we're being warned about here and how we're being instructed to respond is the fact that when we start following the Lord and chastening comes our way, we need to be careful that we don't get bitter because there's some mighty bad branches come out of that thing. And many people can be destroyed by it. Many people can be destroyed by it. I had a person say to me once, and they're recollecting many years ago in church, and they, they were in tears. They were talking. And I said, uh, what's, what's got you upset? And they said, I, I think about the other young people that were around me when I was in church and how I influenced them to do wrong. Be sneaky. You know, cutting your eyes around the whole time the preacher's talking and stuff. The, uh, they said, I wonder how many of them would have stayed in and how many of them would still be in church if I had not had an influence on them. It's a strong, strong thing to deal with. Many be defiled. Let me be done. Let's pray. Father, sober words, I want to heed them. I believe a good host of the people tonight do. I pray, especially but not exclusively for our young people. May they get this down in them early. May it matter to them. May they never play church. God, I pray that it will be real to them to love you. Father, help us to walk. And when we are chastened by you, may we have sense enough to know you're loving on us and wanting us to be made better to serve you. God, may we be honest enough with you. May I be honest enough with you to realize that I am corrupt by my nature. I do have a sinful nature. That's me by nature. And I need chastened. I need corrected. I need instructed. And Lord, may I have a hunger and thirst after that. Bless your people. May serious business be done with you here tonight, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you come? Don't even wait on the piano. You ought to come. If you feel like there's a root taking hold, why don't you ask the Lord to dig it out and then be still for a minute. Let Him show you what you need to do in that. Why don't you come?